We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philippians. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going great. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, the word rejoice is kairos, and the noun form joy is kara in the Greek. And it doesn't mean the silliness or giddiness. It means literally in the Greek, calm delight. Notice it is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because our joy comes from Jesus, friends. When do you rejoice? Is it only when life is going perfectly and you feel that sense of elation? Well, today you may be in for a surprise because the Bible tells you to rejoice always. Pastor Gary reminds you that this means when you're down in the dumps too, when your world is tumbling out of control and you just don't feel it. That's when you praise Jesus. And Pastor Gary reminds you it's not about you anyway. It's about Jesus. It's from Jesus, and it's meant to draw you closer to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Philippians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. You can even see subtraction, but division has no place. And so Paul warns about it, not just here in Philippians, Galatians 5, listen to Romans 16, verse 17. Paul wrote, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, another example. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may, may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. So strong caution many places in the Bible, not just here, about disagreements becoming divisive or something that breeds disunity in in the church. So there's actually, I think, here within verses 2 and 3, some advice that Paul gives us about achieving unity in the church. And the standout phrases for me that that I noted here in verses 2 and 3 are these phrases. He talks about in the Lord. We'll we'll talk about what these mean in a moment. And then he talks about, he mentions some loyal yoke fellow helped these women, uh, some guy that he doesn't mention by name. We don't know who he is. And, And then he uses this phrase, whose names are in the book of life. So let me just talk about these three real quickly, because I think that this is good advice from Paul about achieving unity in the church. This should be our goal. And the first thing that he mentions there in verse two, where he talks about, uh, that, that he pleads with these ladies to agree with each other in 
the Lord. In other words, this, whatever the disagreement, everything else is less important than the common cause of Christ. Okay, whatever the disagreement, that's why he uses this term in the Lord. You need to agree in the Lord. You will not always agree in Euodia or agree in Syntyche. You will not always agree with each other, but Please, this is his pleading, and this is important for every church to understand. Please, at the end of the day, realize that the most important thing is the cause of Christ. It should always be about Jesus and not about ourselves, which means that we should be asking ourselves important questions as it relates to unity in the church. Questions like, how might my disposition impact the kingdom? I mean, positively or negatively. But if, if we are taking disagreement to a place where now it's crossing a line into disunity and division, we have to be asking ourselves, is what I'm about, is what I'm doing, is the way I'm acting or the things I'm saying, is this, is this causing injury to the kingdom of God? Because it's all about Christ, and there is a watching world from without the church and within the church that is looking for unity as the mark that we belong to Christ. Again, not agreement on every single level. There can be pleasant disagreement, and that old phrase, we can agree to disagree on different things, but there had better be action and words that bring unity for the cause of Christ because the kingdom and the reputation of the kingdom is at stake. We need to represent Christ and we need to be able to put aside some of these petty differences for the cause of Christ. We need to ask ourselves things like what would give Christ or his church a bad name? What would cause division within within the church, within the body of Christ? And if there's a check in our hearts about any of those things, how could this impact the kingdom in a negative way? Um, you know, in, in what way might this cause division? Would it give Christ a bad name? Then we've got to pull back the disagreement to a place where we surrender that to the Lord and we don't take it to a place of disunity or division. Now, he also mentions here in verse 3 this, this loyal yoke fellow uh, helped these women. He calls upon somebody in the church here, doesn't mention by name. He's going to mention another guy in a little bit there with Clement, but that's not who he was referring to uh, in verse 3. It, somebody, and he talks about a yoke fellow because the idea that we are yoked, you know, harnessed together like oxen are yoked together for the same cause of Christ. So he, it's, a, it's an affectionate term. He says there's some other brother in the church here. He calls him a yoke fellow, a fellow guy who's uh, on the same path that Paul is for the sake of the gospel. He says, help these women, help these women. So I think it's just a reminder to us that sometimes uh, we need help from others in, in resolving differences. You know, there is a place within the body of Christ for some simple arbitration when two people just can't get along and, and they seem to be, you know, causing dissension and division and disunity because of their disagreement. There's a, there's a good place for somebody else to be involved in some kind of, of a, a, a peace agreement and serving like an arbitrator to kind of bring peace. So Paul is actually urging a particular person who's unnamed could you, could you sit down with these ladies and see if you could just bring some peace between them? Because their, their disagreement has spilled over now into potentially damaging the church. That's not a bad thing when, when people need to help those who are in disagreement to try to bring about peace. 
And then he mentions this last phrase, whose names are in the book of life. And he's including Euodia and Syntyche in this, as well as Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. That's how he ends verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. And I, I think that he's bringing it back to the book of life because at the end of all of this, he's basically saying that another way you achieve unity in the church is to always maintain an eternal view of things. You know, in the grand scheme of things, is this issue really that important? You know, have you ever, have you ever looked at your life and maybe just within the context of a disagreement in a marriage or disagreement in a family, and have you ever stopped to just think, okay, look, if, if you were dying or if this person were dying at some kind of terminal illness, would you really be fussing about this? Because in the big scheme of things, is this issue really that important given the gravity of the situation? And, and I think that that's, that's what he's trying to remind everybody of here. Okay, you got these two women who are disagreeing. Can I get somebody to help them, please? And, and I plead with these two ladies, please agree in the Lord. And, and the word there is autos froneo, meaning uh, can you please be of the same mind? Can you please turn your thoughts in the same direction? Make it about Jesus, not about yourselves. And after all, please keep in perspective that this is an eternal, this is an eternal thing, uh, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is about ultimately going to heaven. So probably when you think about that in that perspective, maybe the things that you're fussing about aren't all that important. I think it's, I think it's wise advice from Paul in helping us to achieve unity in the church. Well, he moves on now in, in the next section, really through the rest of this chapter, and he's going to give some closing exhortations here, and, and here they are. And don't worry if you can't write the list down, but um, I just kind of summarize the next few verses. He's going to talk about, this is, he, these are commands really, but I'm calling them exhortations. He talks about, he wants us to rejoice in the Lord always. He says, be gentle to everyone. He says, do not worry about anything. Pray about everything and think about the right things. That's how he's going to summarize this whole letter to the Philippians, and it's a, it's a wise word for us still today. He's going to give us these closing exhortations, these final commands, and he's going to basically divide all this into three categories that we'll see here as we go further in chapter 4. He's going to talk about your prayer life, he's going to talk about your thought life, and he's going to talk about your way of life, and he's actually going to model this for us. He's going to talk about our prayer life because he, he's experienced this in his prayer life. He's going to talk about our thought life, because this is where he is in his thought life, and he's going to talk about the way of life, because this is where he is, and this is his perspective on, on how to live out your life for, for the glory of God. So we're going to take a look at these three sections uh, one by one, and let's, let's start first with, with your prayer life here in verse 6. And um, sorry, let, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, look at verse 4 before we get down to verse 6. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
All right, so here's verse 4. This is that common exhortation about rejoicing in the Lord always again. I, I say rejoice. And I asked this question last week about how many of you remember singing that in Sunday school. I know I, know I did in, in Sunday school as a little kid. And they would divide the class in rounds, and you'd sing it in rounds. And it was a fun little song. But it was easy to sing when you're like six. I mean, how hard is it as a six-year-old to rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. This is a fun song. And then you get about 36 and 56 and 66, and all of a sudden it's not as easy to rejoice all the time. Because the older you live, there are things that you, you know, that you experience in life that can become difficult. And so how do you, how do you rejoice when things are hard? Because he says here, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, that word always is in here intentionally. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going great. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, the word rejoice is kairos, and the noun form joy is kara in the Greek. And it doesn't mean the silliness or giddiness. It means literally in the Greek, calm delight. Notice it is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because our joy comes from Jesus, friends. It doesn't come from this world. You know, Jesus warned us in this world, you will have trouble. He adds, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus speaks about knowing his joy, that you might have my joy, and that the fullness of joy would be evident in your life. So joy comes from Jesus, all right? And it is not this superficial kind of plastic, we're just pretending like everything is fine, even though my world is falling apart, kind of a facade that some Christians think they need to put on their face, you know. No, this is, this is understanding that no matter what happens in my life, there is a God who loves me and who is seated on a throne and he is sovereign over all things and everything that I go through was no surprise to him and I can trust him to take care of me through thick and thin. And in that, and knowing Christ as your Savior, and having that assurance that God loves me, that He's on the throne, that He's sovereign, I can trust Him, even when things are crazy, we have no, you know, no illusions. It's not like we're pretending like things aren't bad. Things can get really, really rotten in your life, but it is understanding that even so, there is a God who loves you and a Christ who died for you, and knowing Him as your Lord and Savior transcends good times and bad times, and in Him, I have joy. I have that calm delight in him. I know he's going to take care of me. I can trust him. He's going to take care of my family. No matter what I face, the Lord is good. He's good all the time. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to lean hard against him because everything else about this world cannot deliver what it often promises. And that is this, this sense of you can have contentment and fulfillment in the world. You cannot have a contentment and a fulfillment in this world. You can only really have it in Christ and in knowing him as your Lord and Savior. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. Right? So it, it's about knowing Jesus. So it's not this, it's not this fake. It's not this plastic thing. It's not this facade. It's not this giddiness. It's not this silliness. It's, it's recognizing, hey, Christians will go through some really difficult, terrible times too. But my joy, my calm delight is in Jesus and I rest in him. And I put my trust in Him. 
And so that's where our joy is. That's where our calm delight is. And that's why he says, always, good times and bad. And he, and he commands it again. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, not to some. We're called to be gentle people. You know, harsh, abrasive, anybody, nobody wants to be around, especially harsh, abrasive Christians. That, I mean, that's like an oxymoron, right? How can you really be a Christ follower and be harsh and abrasive? I mean, what a, what a turnoff that is to people who are trying to get a glimpse of the love of Jesus. And there we come along as these harsh and abrasive Christians. That's why Paul says, no, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let it be evident to all. And then, and he says, because the Lord is near, like, you know, time is short. So then in verses 6 and 7, these, these verses together are some of the sweetest verses in all the Bible about the importance of prayer. And I would encourage you, commit these verses to memory. Uh, highlight them in your Bibles. There have been many, many times I've drawn on these verses as a reminder when, when life gets anxious or worrisome or difficult. Here's what he says in verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything. You Notice these superlative words he uses like all, anything, always, everything. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, let let me stop there and just notice, if you highlight in your Bibles the words there in verse 6, prayer, petition, requests. Just circle those words or highlight them in your Bibles, prayer, petition, and requests. Now, these are three different words in the original Greek language, and you can read different Bible commentaries, and they will tell you, you know, here's what the word means, here's how it translates, and, and so there's a lot of discussion about these three words, and here's what I have found to be the basic best single words to define these three. When he talks about prayer, it is a word in the Greek that is a very broad term, and, and one of the best ways to see that word is in terms of once. Okay, which is a very broad word in our English, once. Okay, once. There are, we have a lot of once. So prayer is asking the Lord in relation to our once. Petition is a different word. It's a more narrow word. It's, it's, a more, it's a stronger word. And so that word is often translated in relation to needs. So we have once, and then we have needs. Our needs are not always our wants. Our wants are not always our needs. Our needs are more intense. They're more significant. You can have a long list of wants, but when it comes right down to it, you may only have a few particular needs. And then the last word, requests, are desires. It's kind of the excess above wants and needs. He uses these three terms, but then he says in the middle of it, between prayer and petition, and then the word requests, he talks about thanksgiving, which is a very important aspect to our prayer life, because whatever the want, need, or desire, let it all be brought to the Lord with thanksgiving. And we sometimes forget that part. We're like, Lord, here are my wants. Lord, here are my needs. Lord, here are my desires. But he says, approach the throne of grace with thanksgiving. We should always make our prayers our Petition, some of your translations say supplications, same kind of a word. And our requests should always be coming to the throne of God with thanksgiving. We should always be people who are grateful and thankful. 
and are always worshiping the Lord, not just making requests, but offering our praise and giving our thanksgiving in the midst of offering our prayer requests and petitions uh, unto the Lord at the same time. So, listen, this is the greatest remedy to an anxious heart. Be anxious for nothing, he says here. But in all things, in everything, make your, your prayers your petitions with thanksgiving and your requests known to God. There is so much in life that will bring about an anxious heart. You you don't have to live very long before you can become very anxious about things. So the remedy to an anxious heart is a strong prayer life. The remedy to an anxious heart is a strong prayer life. When I find myself becoming more anxious or fearful about something, it always, it always corresponds to my lack of prayer. Because when I become fearful or anxious about something, then I stop and think, when when was the last time I really had a good time of prayer with the Lord? And usually the the distance between when I really prayed and when when I noticed my anxious heart is greatest when there's a greater distance. And so when I feel that anxious heart stirring, man, I know it's, it's, it's my need for prayer because I need to get in the Lord's presence and I need to just lift this up to the Lord. I need to give this to Him. And then here's the beauty of verse 7. Okay, so this is the corresponding part. So we, we're to be anxious for nothing, but in all things with, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Verse 7, and the peace that passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? Because what it's saying is, when we approach the throne of grace with thanksgiving, we make our prayers, our, our petitions, our requests known to the Lord, and we lift up all of our burdens and our anxious heart, and we give it all to Him, then He has this wonderful way of returning this peace to our hearts and to our minds. What does this part mean about, and it passes all understanding, it surpasses all understanding, understanding. What it means is you will get the peace of God over your heart and over your mind, and it won't even make sense that you should have that much peace. When you have an anxious heart and a worried heart and a fearful heart, and then you go into your prayer closet and you pray until that anxiety, worry, and fear are lifted, and you come out of your prayer closet, people will look at you and they will say, why do you have so much peace? You shouldn't have that much peace. Because I know what's going on in your life. And I know this is happening and that happening. I can't believe you have so much peace. And you won't be able to believe it either. Except that the only explanation is it's that peace that comes from the Lord that transcends all understanding. It doesn't even make rational sense. But it is a testimony of the miracle of God to bring His peace into your heart over your anxious life. So pray. Pray. Get into your prayer closets or find a, a quiet place where you can pray. Carve it out of your schedule. You say, well, I've got, I've got really young kids and, I, and they wake up really early. Wake up earlier. Wake up even earlier. Or stay up later. Or take your lunch break and get in your car and go somewhere by yourself. Whatever it takes. Listen, I'm just trying to plead with you, you Odia and Syntyche. Listen, not just about division, but please recognize if, you, if you've never experienced this, then you don't know what you're missing. But I can tell you from personal experience, when fear, worry, and anxiety start to take over my heart, and I make the, the, the greater effort of getting alone with the Lord in prayer, I come out of that prayer closet with such peace 
And it doesn't even make sense. Because it's not like necessarily the situation is gone or resolved. But it's God's peace that just comes over you in the midst of that situation. It is a wonderful, irreplaceable thing. So pray. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection, as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of Philippians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of Philippians. Keep reading on your own to discover many other inspiring and motivating things that apply to you today. We look forward to you joining us on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know